with tomorrow, uh, the fellows, I've asked the guys to come up here about 5 o'clock and help around the, the outside of the new church. And so any of the wives who want to come, uh, what we're going to do is tonight after the service, any of our fellows that can help break down some of the pulpit furniture and just get it stored out of sight. And then uh, any ladies that would want to come while we're cleaning up, up around the building and just come down here and just clean just do any kind of general general cleaning down here, that would be appreciated very, very much. And so anyway, take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to 2 Kings chapter 22, 2 Kings chapter 22, and when you find your place, if you'll stand tonight out of respect for the reading of God's Word, and uh, I want to talk to you about a very, very important subject tonight, and it's this, is the Bible the final authority? Uh, we're talking about answering the hard questions. Is the Bible the final authority is the question that we want to answer tonight. And so 2 Kings chapter 22 in your Bibles, and I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories. And uh, 2 Kings 22, and look with me, if you will, please, at verse number 1. And the Bible says that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 and 1 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adaiah of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah, he's 18 years old, that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver into the hand of the doers of the work. So basically what's happened is if you go back and read a little pre-history before 2 Kings chapter 22, is that basically the house of God has been ransacked and, and almost just destroyed. And, uh, you know, it makes you really wonder why, you know, why those kings would have been so demented. But the house of God just literally been almost torn down. And so Josiah, a young man, becomes the king. He's 18 years old. He's a teenager, but he's the king. And Josiah wants to, wants to, to fix up the house of God and rebuild the house of God. And, uh, and so verse 5 says, And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house under carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit, <clears throat> there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. In other words, he said, King, I did what you told me to do. I went down and supervised, and, and we distributed the money and, uh, to the workers, and uh, I did what you told me to do. But look at verse 10. He said, And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. You'll notice that. Hath delivered me a book. He said, King Hilkiah found something. Looks interesting. He said, I just thought I'd just bring it up here to you. And the Bible says, And Shaphan 
read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakim the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Azahiah a servant of the king saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. So I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about this subject, is the Bible the final authority? So we're going to have a word of prayer. And uh, how many are a little, anybody too cool tonight? I should never ask that question. That's the wrong question to ask. How many are, is everybody, how many are comfortable tonight? Raise your hand if you're comfortable, all right? Okay, so uh, if you feel like it's a little cool, Brandon, go turn up one degree, okay? All right, don't let that redhead over there. Don't let, don't let her at the thermostat, whatever you do, all right? No, if it get, listen, if it gets a little cool, turn it up, turn it up one degree. One degree makes a tremendous difference, okay? But I, I don't want you to be distracted tonight because I want you to be able to focus on what the message is tonight. And so, and I'm, I am very serious about that tonight because this is a subject that we can't get wrong. We've got to make sure we're right on this one tonight. So let's have a word of prayer, and you can be seated right after that. Father, thank you for allowing us to be back in the Lord's house again tonight. And God, I thank you for church. I love this place. And Lord, it's such a blessing to come here week after week. And, to, and Lord, just to see you bless and to see souls saved. And God, we're so grateful that, that already tonight, Lord, uh, miraculous things have happened. And and Lord, how exciting as we begin to fellowship and shake hands tonight. Little Maggie came out and said, Preacher, guess what happened? I just got saved. And Lord, that's exciting. And uh, Lord, I'm so glad that these, these uh, young, youngins and these little ones can be exposed to the gospel. And uh, Lord, I'm glad you're still saving souls. And Lord, it was wonderful to see what happened at Haven Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, California just a few days ago. <laughs> Lord, literally, as I felt like we were watching a new birth take place, I felt like we were in a spiritual delivery room. That's how it felt. And, Lord, as we felt that excitement and as we saw the tears and, uh, Lord, just the tenderness that was there. And, uh, but, Lord, it's so wonderful to be back with our church family tonight. And I pray that you'll bless each and every one. And, Lord, I pray that you'll bless those that are watching by way of live stream this evening. And I pray, God, that you'd, and you're using that ministry in a great way. And I'm so thankful for that. And I pray, God, that you would continue to uh, expand our ministry. And, Lord, extend the outreach of the Calvary Baptist Church where we're not just reaching folks in Union Grove, but, God, we're reaching folks, Lord, in the highways and hedges and, uh, Lord, the, the streets and the lanes and uh, even other countries. And so, Father, bless us tonight. Bless our discussion. Fill us with the Spirit of the Lord. And I pray that uh, our Savior would receive glory and praise from all that's done. Give us power, please. In Jesus' name we pray. And for His sake and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated tonight. You may be seated. Thank you for standing tonight. I read an interesting story. Uh, his name was uh, Peter Watling. Peter Watling was a farmer. He was out working one day in the field. And <clears throat> while he was working, he misplaced his hammer. And so he uh, uh, was high grass, you know, and he couldn't, he tromped around as you would do and I would do, and he couldn't find his hammer. 
So he remembered that he had a friend that had a metal detector. And so he called his friend and he said, listen, he said, I was out working in the field. He said, I was out there with the hammer. I don't know if he was, you know, nailing fence posts up or what he was doing, but he lost his hammer. And he said, listen, he said, you've got one of those metal detectors. And he said, yes, I do. He said, listen, would you do me a favor? And he said, would you bring that metal detector over? And he said, we're going to try to find my hammer. So good hammer, and we'll find the hammer. So, so his friend said, sure, I'll do that. So he came over and he got his metal detector out and, and uh, you know, put his earphones on there and he began to go out through that field. And sure enough, sure enough, that metal detector picked up that metal and, and it began to chatter and and, uh, and his friend said, I think I found it. I think I found it. And he said, I'm picking it up right here. And so they began to dig through that grass to try to find the hammer. Well, they didn't find the hammer. But they did find something. They found an oak chest. And in that oak chest, they began to dig and they unearthed that oak chest. And in that oak chest, they said they found a collection of silver spoons, gold jewelry, and coins, all dating back to the 4th century. They called in help, and they said that archaeologists began to descend on the, uh, on the area, and they began to find all sorts of other treasures buried in that same field. They began to find Roman ladles and spoons and various utensils. Are you ready for this? All valuing around $3.8 million. Now, my point tonight was this. For 1,800 years, there was a treasure that was buried in a farmer's field and nobody knew anything about it. It was completely hid, completely lost. Now, you say, preacher, why'd you tell that story? Well, I told that story because it sort of goes along with the story that we read tonight. The Bible says that Josiah had become the king at eight years old. I, I have a hard time trying to fathom all that, but he was eight years old, and we just came from California, Taylor's 10, and, and he became the king at eight. And uh, anyway, and the Bible says he was a good king. Uh, somehow he did not follow the ways of his father. His father was a wicked, wicked man. In fact, the Bible says he only reigned two years, and they killed him because they despised him so bad. But, but Josiah becomes the king, and he's 18 years old, and he comes to his, uh, one of his chief men, Shaphan, and he says, listen, I want you to uh, take the money that's been collected, and I want you to go down to Hilkiah the priest there. And he said, I want you to deliver the money between the, the carpenters and the masons and the builders and, and, uh, and just uh, oversee and supervise and make sure everything's going on. And so sure enough, Shaphan goes down there uh, to distribute the money to the, uh, to the contractors and and while he's down there, Hilkiah, the priest, comes to Shaphan. He says, by the way, he said, uh, the work's going on and we're getting the building project done. But he said, while we were wading through all the debris and all the destruction, he said, we found something. You're going to understand it had been hundreds of years. And uh, so Shaphan, I'm sure Shaphan said, what'd you find? He said, well, we found a book. <laughs> and uh, the Bible says that Shaphan took the book and he uh, took it to the king and he said, King, we did what you told us to do. We uh, distributed the money. The, the, the work's going on. The house of the Lord's being, uh, being rebuilt. But he said, we found something. We found a book. And the Bible says that Shaphan and the scribe began to read that book to King Josiah. And the Bible says that when King Josiah began to hear those words, he knew what it was. The Bible says he rent his garments and he repented. In fact, the whole kingdom repented. And a great revival 
begin to break out in the kingdom of Judah. Now, this is such a, a sad commentary, and the reason is because uh, the, the days leading up to Josiah's reign, the word of God had been totally lost. In fact, if you read the story, it was literally, you've heard of, a, you've heard of this statement, out of mind, out of sight. And that was the word. The word was out of mind and out of sight. It was literally, literally not even in the thoughts or the daily lives of the people of God. But here's the part I want to get to. But here's the, the really sad and tragic part. The word of God was not simply lost, but the word of God was lost in the house of God. Amen. <laughs> Man, what a thought. The Bible, God's law was not just lost, but it was lost of all places in God's house. Now, you know what I believe? I believe the Old Testament is a picture of New Testament as illustration of New Testament truth. And I honestly believe that that is a picture of what's going on in modern day society. Amen. That we have lost the word of God. But you know what, church? It's not just lost in Hollywood. We took the kids, you know, down there to Hollywood this week and and, uh, you know, just sad. Listen, you know, you know what I think we ought to do? We ought to load up every one of our kids at Calvary Baptist Church and take them on a trip to Hollywood, California. Amen. You say to see the stars? Oh, no. It is one of the greatest commercials for anti-drugs that I've ever seen in my life. Just as you walk down the streets and see people just completely out of their minds uh, just laying on the streets, no shoes on their feet, don't care who's looking, uh, just laying there in rags. And, and, but wait a minute now, the Bible's not just lost in places like that, but unfortunately the Word of God is lost in many churches across America and the world today. Now I want to give you today, real, real quickly, I want to give you, this just interu introduction quickly, but I want to give you six different attitudes about the Bible. Now, uh, the, the unfortunate thing about these six attitudes is that, if not all, most of these attitudes have actually made their way into the local New Testament church today, or it made their way into the church. Maybe not a local New Testament church, but they've made their way into the, what the Bible or what the world calls the church today. And so there are basically six different attitudes about the Bible. I don't have these on the screen, and I'm just going to give them to you real quickly. Donna, you can write them down if you want to. But the first attitude is the attitude of what is called rationalism. Now, what is rationalism? Well, rationalism basically denies that there is any form of supernatural revelation. And basically what rationalism says is this, that the Bible is just a book. It was written by a bunch of men who got together and uh, they just decided to write a book. And, uh, you know, rationally speaking, it's just a book. I've met people like that. I've been out visiting, and I've met folks that man, that's just a book. That's all it is. And a bunch of guys got together, and they just, you know, they just wrote, wrote it. And uh, well, and that's a whole different message tonight. I, I, if I'm not careful, I'll start chasing rabbits, and the rabbits have a lot of meat on them. They really do. But I'm not going to go that direction tonight. But I'm going to tell you what. There is definite proof that it's not just a bunch of men that got together and wrote a book and. Uh, uh, and again, I'm, I'm really refraining here from going down that avenue. But rationalism. But then there's number two. The second attitude is the attitude of Romanism. Romanism. And Romanism basically says this, that the Bible is the product of the church. 
And so therefore, the Bible is not the sole final authority. Uh, Romanism says that the Bible is an authority, but it's not the final authority. Now, you say, well, Richard, that sounds good. That's dangerous. That's very dangerous thinking. And so Romanism said that, uh, says that the Bible is an authority, but it's not, the, it's not the sole final authority. Number three is the attitude that's called mysticism. Now I want to stay here just for a moment if I could, mysticism. Because if you were to ask most people, are they involved in mysticism, most will say absolutely not. But the truth of the matter is, I would say that the, that the, that the bigger percentage of people today, although they know it or not, are really involved in what's known as mysticism. In fact, there's a lot of people who walk in our churches and a lot of Baptist churches who are involved in mysticism. You say, why, preacher? Let me tell you what mysticism says. It says that experience is authoritative along with the Bible. And so I feel it. In my opinion, since I feel it, it has to be this way. Uh, so people that are involved in mysticism would say something like this. Man, I had an amazing experience. I had this experience and, and uh, this bright light or this loud voice or, or this feeling came over me. Now, listen, church, I'm going to tell you something. This is happening in so-called Bible-believing churches all across America today. Uh, and just because somebody had an experience or just because somebody uh, feels it or somebody says, in my opinion, they believe that, it, that therefore it must be right. But just because you have an experience or just because I have an experience or just because you have an opinion doesn't make it right. Amen. And so mysticism, number four, of course, is cults. And uh, cults says this, that the Bible and the writings of a particular cult leader are equally authoritative. And so, in other words, you need both. And so, if you call this number, we'll send you a King James Bible. That sounds like a great, uh, a great deal. Uh, the only problem is, is when you call that number, they will send you a King James Bible, but they'll also say, you're going to need the Book of Moroni to understand that, the Book of Mormon to understand that. Uh, and so uh, cults would say that the Bible is an authority, but you also need other books uh, that, uh, that uh, are also uh, an authority. Now, the next one, number five, is what we call neo-orthodoxy, neo-orthodoxy. And again, this is, uh, believe it or not, this is in a lot of churches nowadays. And basically, neo-orthodoxy says this, the Bible is a fallible witness to the revelation of God. In other words, it says that the Bible has a lot of good things in it, but it also has error. Uh, the Bible is good. It is true, some of it but not all of it. Uh, and and uh, so you, you can't take it all literally. Mercy. I'm so glad I'm not in a church that preaches that tonight. Yeah. I, I would hate to think that we would be, be bringing little Maggie and Max and other these little ones up uh, uh, under that kind of a uh, teaching and, and, a, and, and no wonder if that's the case then no wonder kids are leaving our churches uh, in epidemic numbers because they're being taught that you know what it's just there's a little bit of truth in there but it's not all true and, and uh, you know it's got a, it's a bunch of mistakes and that kind of thing and, uh, and so neo-orthodoxy but then number seven the seventh attitude is the attitude of orthodoxy or orthodox and so that's what we would be and orthodoxy basically basically says this, that the Bible alone is the ground of authority, that this book has the final say, that the book 
stops here. Uh, is, is what orthodoxy says. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, that's where we are. That's, that's who we are at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, we believe the Bible is the final authority. We believe it has sole authority. Uh, we don't have to have anybody else come in and chime in or tell us what to do or we don't have to have another book. Uh, you know what? Because we believe this is it right here, that God has given us his full revelation, inspired, infallible. It's without mistake. It's, it works. And, uh, and so it is the final authority. Now, now just three thoughts I'm going to give you tonight quickly. Uh, but these thoughts have a lot of meat on them. All right, how about this? Number one, I want to talk to you about the superiority of Scripture. Why do we believe the Bible is our sole authority over everything else, over every book, over every leader, and every over uh, and and over every church. Well, we're just going to organize a little Bible study right now, and I want you to take your Bibles, turn to several places this evening, because they're just good places that you need to see. The first place I want you to turn is the book of Second Peter, toward the very back of your Bible, Second Peter chapter one, and look if, if you will please at verse number fifteen. Why do we believe at Calvary Baptist Church that, that the Bible is our sole authority over everything else? What's that mean, preacher? It means the Bible trumps what the pastor says. It means the Bible trumps what the Pope says. It means the Bible trumps what a television evangelist says. Uh, it means the Bible trumps what an experience says. The Bible is the sole authority over everything else, all right? So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. And Peter said, moreover, I will endeavor, verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we have made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For, we have, uh, for, we, for he received... From God the Father, honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. Now look at verse 19. We have also a more, what's the next word? Sure, sure word of prophecy. Whereunto, Peter said, ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time, that's rationalism, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, that's what well, a bunch of men just got together and wrote it, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's that, that word moved is the idea of, of breathing upon, of blowing. It's, a, it's the idea of a sailboat being on, a, on, the, on the sea and that, that wind moves that boat in a certain direction. And that's what the Bible says, that God moved upon these men in writing uh, the words of the Scripture. Now, I've got a lot of scriptures. And I don't have the time, 15 minutes. I don't have the time to give them all to you tonight. But uh, uh, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verse number 13 tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3, just a few pages back from 2 Peter. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look with me, if you will, tonight in verse number 13. The Bible says, But evil men 
and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let me ask you a question, church. Is that happening today? In a big way. Now look at verse 14. Paul says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that word doctrine means teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, let me have you turn at least to one other place tonight. Take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12, and I want you to look with me, if you will, at verse number 6. Psalm chapter 12 and verse number 6. And I know I'm going quickly tonight, but we got a little ways to go. Psalm chapter 12 and verse number 6. And notice what the psalmist said. He said, the words of the Lord are what kind of words? They're pure words. Uh, As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And I love this last part. He said, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, this is what the liberals say. The liberal says, listen, preacher, how can we, 2,000 years later, <clears throat> how can we have a perfect Bible? There is no way. There's just no way. But some of the same liberals, if you were to ask them uh, if they believed in miracles, would say yes. If you were to say, well, <clears throat> do you believe? Now, some would not say, but anyway, some, would. if you were to say, do you believe God parted the waters of the Red Sea? They would say, yes, I do. If you were to say, do you believe that God sent manna from heaven for 40 years to feed the Israelites? They would say, yes, I do. Now, and this is all I'm saying. If there is a God that can speak the world's end of existence and take the sun and hang it in his place and tell it to stay there, and as we were at the Pacific Ocean this week and just, just, uh, just in awe over the, the, the greatness of our God and how God looks at the Pacific Ocean and says, by the way, stay there. And he looks at the Atlantic Ocean and says, by the way, stay there. And the only time it goes past that is when God Almighty says, all right, I'm going to let you loose. If that same God can do all of that and, and can send manna from heaven and can put the sun in its place, can that same God not give you a preserved word of God? And the answer is, yes, he can. Now, this is all I'm trying to say tonight. Man, we need to understand that, you know what? It is superior. It is superior. Now, I was reading, I was reading the testimony, Billy Graham's testimony the other day as a young evangelist. They were trying to convince him to doubt the word of God. And I did not know this. I had, I had heard the testimony a little bit, never really read into it. And, but they said that Billy Graham was at a, at a crucial fork in the road in his ministry. And he was asked to come to a place called Forest Home Christian Camp. And we were just close to it, and I didn't know it. And if I had known it, we'd have probably went there. And, but it was over in the San Bernardino Mountains. And one night he was there at the camp, and, uh, and they said that he walked into the woods, and he knelt down by a stump. And they showed a picture of the stump there at the camp, still, in, still going today. Uh, and, and this is pretty much what he said. He said, Father... I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this 
to be your inspired word. And he said that night when he got up off that stump, that something happened. It was like the Spirit of God gave him a new boldness. That very next day, he preached at, uh, at Forest Home Christian Camp, and 400 people came to the Lord. It was just a few weeks after that that the, uh, that the uh, and let me get this right, that the, the historic 1949 Los Angeles crusade started, and as they erected that, that large tent on the corner of Washington and Hill Streets, and the crusade was scheduled to last three weeks, but it ended up going eight. And during those eight weeks, in a tent in Los Angeles, California, 350,000 people heard the gospel and 3,000 people walked the aisle. I'm getting chills right now. I'm getting chills right now. 3,000 people walked the aisle and gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Now you say, what's your point? My point is, this is it, brother. Amen. This is the final authority. You know what we need to do? We just need to come to that point where we say, you know what? I can't understand everything about it. I, uh, some of it don't make sense. I can't figure it out. I can't wrap my mind all the way around it, but I know this. It's the Word of God. I'm going to trust it by faith that it's the Word of God, the perfect Word of God. And you know what? If we would do that, I promise you, God would bless you. I'm trying to teach tonight, but I'm just having a hard time. Amen. And so we notice the superiority of Scripture. But how about this? Number two, I want you to notice the supremacy of Scripture. The Bible is supreme in that it should govern every single thing we do in life. And what do you mean, Pastor? Well, the Bible should be the foundation. The Bible should be the roadmap. For every aspect of our life. And, 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 and I was thinking about that this week in, uh, in Los Angeles. We used our GPS a lot. Now, Zach knows his way around that place a lot. But there was a few times when Zach wasn't with us. And if you've ever been there, some of you have. I know uh, uh, some, of you, some of you were telling me tonight that uh, you've, been, you've been to L.A. And it's this way and that way and this way and that way. And it's all, you know, it's all messed up. And, uh, and so we used our GPS. And isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing how helpful that GPS is? And I think, what did we do before the days of GPS? Do y'all remember those big, gigantic, Rand McNally maps? That when you opened, <laughs> they, they were those, those folds, you know what I'm talking about? The kids are like, huh? And... Uh, and you kids don't even know what cassettes are. Hush. And, uh, and we would take those Rand McNally maps and we would unfold those things and they literally took up the whole front of the car. And even with that, even with that, sometimes you had to get a magnifying glass out, you know, to, to try to figure out where you were going. And now you just say, hey, Siri, uh, take me to such and such. And, uh, and, she, and she just automatically just gives you directions. And, and you know, what a, what a help that is. And I said that to say this, that the Word of God in the same way, if we would just allow God's Word to guide us, it would make things so much easier. And, man, we see so many people struggling. And, uh, and, and you know what? Uh, spiritually speaking, they're still using those Rand McNally maps, and they're thinking, Preacher, I'm lost. I, I don't know what to do, where to go. I don't know which way is up, which way is down. And I just want to say, hey, why don't you try the GPS? Man, just get God's global positioning system, and, and God will show you where to go. Uh, how about this? We should govern our families according to Scripture. 
Deuteronomy 6, uh, 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. The word of God ought to govern our families. How about this? We should govern our marriages according to Scripture. Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. We should govern our churches according to Scripture. You say, preacher, where's Calvary's headquarters? Is it in Dallas or Nashville? Neither. Well, you say, where's your headquarters? Straight up. You say, preacher, who's on your board of directors? There's three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's our board of directors. And now, did you know that there shouldn't be an organization or, uh, or a para-organization that dictates what the local church does? Did you know the Word of God ought to be the sole authority for that? Okay, let me give you, let me give you a, a, a for instance or two tonight. How about this? Right now, right now, I mean, as we speak, if you're watching the news or reading, or reading the newspaper, there's a big hot-button issue right now about the Pope is thinking about changing things so the Catholic priests can marry. But, now, I don't mean any offense tonight. I'm just telling you this. It's not his decision. It's not his decision. We say, preacher, where do you get off saying it's not his decision? Because he's not the sole authority. Hey, listen, listen to what your Bible says. Proverbs 18, 22. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. And obtaineth favor of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Again, I'm just saying this. Listen, God's already told us what to do. We just need to follow what God says. Let me give you, let me give you a for instance. Some churches right now are ordaining homosexuals as pastors or part of the pastoral staff. And people say, you know what, that we ought to be hush-hush about that. And, 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 and although we'll not be, uh, we're not going to be mean-spirited about that, uh, I want to say this. It's anti-Bible and it's anti-church and it's anti-God. And I know the world's appalled when we say that, but here's the problem. Uh, the, the United Methodist Church or, or the Southern Baptist Convention or, 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 or whoever else, uh, Stephen Pope, is not the sole or the final authority on that. Listen, it already has been told what to do. We've already been told what to do. And you say, well, Pastor, what do you mean? Leviticus 18.22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Romans 1.26, for this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And I know that people take issue with us on these matters, but they'll just have to take issue with us because we believe that this is the final authority. 
Somebody says, I know, Pastor, but you know, you're just, you're not, you're just not educated enough. Well, if you've got to be educated enough to accept that kind of sin, I want to be dumb. I don't know. Listen, I may not have a doctorate degree from Duke, but I know what the Bible says. And I'd like to see a homosexual get saved. But he has no business pastoring the church. Or he has no business being a youth pastor. Now, why? Because the Bible is our final authority. Well, aren't we having a good time in the Lord's house tonight? That we see the superiority of Scripture. We see the supremacy of Scripture. But i got to bring this thing to a close. You worked hard today. How about this? Number three. I love this, though. We see the successfulness of Scripture. Now, I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And look, if you will, please, at verse number 2 tonight. I love it, love it, love it, love it. Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 2. We notice the successfulness of Scripture. Notice what the psalmist said in Psalm 1 and verse number 2. He said, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And look what happens. And he shall be like a what? Like a tree Planted by the rivers of water. Oh, I just got to tell you this. I just got to tell you this. Uh, Zach took us somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know where we were. Listen, we were out of cell phone range. I mean, we were way back in the boondocks of Los Angeles County. Were we back in the boondocks, girls? Yes. I mean, listen. I I don't. I, anyway, the land that time forgot. We were in the desert. It was a desert. I mean, nothing but lizards and rattlesnakes. But then we came around a curve, and all of a sudden, you look down in this little ravine, and all the trees are just as green as they could be. You know why? There was water down there. And the Bible says that he that stays in the word of God shall be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. You know what that means? When everything else around you is dying and shriveling up, and the world says, man, everybody else is just... You know, just uh, complaining and and bickering and unhappy. And here you walk in and you've got a smile on your face. What's up with you? I'm like a river planted or like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall, shall prosper. And I just said that to say this, the Bible works. It's tried, it's tested, it's proven. And that's all I'm saying. Just quit trying to change it. And stop trying to improve on it. Stop trying to improve on something that's perfect. I read a great story this week. Can I read it? Can I share it with you? It said a couple decided that they should do something together to strengthen their marriage. So they decided to go duck hunting together. They heard of other people going duck hunting with dogs, and so they figured they needed to buy a good hunting dog. And by the dog, they did. They got all their equipment and their dog and took it off to go duck hunting for the day. They tried getting some ducks, but they came to the end of the day and hadn't got one. The husband looked at his wife and said, Honey, we have got to be doing something wrong. We haven't caught a duck yet. The wife said, Well, honey, Maybe if we throw the dog up a little higher, he can catch one next time. 
That's what a lot of us are doing. We're trying to get a dog to do what a gun was meant to do. We're trying to accomplish things in our lives with tools that don't work or don't make sense. A dog is not the right weapon to get ducks. You need firepower to bring a duck down. And we see you work with people, you go to school with people, you even have some in your family that are doing their best to live their life, but it's falling apart. You know why? They're not using the right tool. Man, we just need to get back to the Bible. Isn't this good tonight? We just need to get back to the Bible. I love it, Tony, Dr. Tony Evans. I was reading a story about Brother Evans, and he said that he had owned, he had owned a vehicle for three years. Same vehicle for three years. He said, I don't even know why, but he said, one day I just decided to get the owner's manual out of the, the, uh, the glove box and read the owner's manual. And he said, as I began to read through that owner's manual, he said, I was absolutely shocked. He said, I found out that my car that I have owned for three years could do things I never knew it could do. He said, in fact, I had been doing things manually that the car would do automatically. It made much more, it was much more efficient after reading the manual. You know what we need to do? Just get back to the manual. Just get back to the manual. I'm done. I'll give you this one last story and we're going to the house. They said a mechanic was called to repair the mechanism for a great telescope. This 12 o'clock is lunchtime. And so he <clears throat> sat down for a little bit and was going to eat his lunch. But before he did, he did that, he took his Bible out. And he began to read his Bible. And they said that as he began to read his Bible, that the chief astronomer came out and saw him reading his Bible. And he said to the, said to the, the uh, mechanic, he said, what good do you expect from that? He said, the Bible's out of date. And he said, for, for that matter, you don't even know who wrote it. The mechanic responded and said, um, as a chief astronomer, don't you make considerable use of the multiplication table in your calculations? And the astronomer said, well, of course I do. He said, do you know who wrote the multiplication table? He said, well, I guess not. He said, then how can you trust the multiplication table, and the astronomer said, I can trust it because it works. And the mechanic said, you know why I can trust this book? Because it works. It works. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or go to divinity school for 12 years. You just get it out somewhere on a stump or get it on your bed or go out in the swing and just say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I'm just going to accept it by faith that this is a miracle of God and it'll lead my family and my marriage and my home. It'll keep me out of trouble. And you know what? It will. Why? It's the final authority. It's the final authority. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you so much for letting us be in the Lord's house tonight. And Lord, I thank you for the message. I don't know if church can be fun, but if it can be, it sure was fun tonight. Lord, it sure is wonderful just coming and learning 
truths like this. And God, understanding that we're on the winning side. And God, that this book will never fail us. Lord, it has the answers for every life problem. Lord, it, it'll, it'll keep us right. It'll keep us happy. It'll, it'll, it'll help our homes to be stronger and help our marriages to be healthy. And God, I pray that you would help us to get in the Bible. Lord, it's, it's, a, it's the final authority, but if we don't get into it, it's not going to help us. And so, Lord, maybe tonight, maybe tonight, during this stanza of an invitation song, maybe tonight somebody needs to come and just rededicate their life to the Bible tonight. Have your way, please, and we thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed. The pianist will play. And we're just going to have just a stanza of an invitation song. And if you need to come for any reason at all, altar's wide open. You come tonight. Thank God we got the final authority in our Bible this evening.